Lord, we gather together today with thanksgiving for the firmament that declares the glory of God and the mighty works of your hands. And Lord, we gather together also to give thanks for 20 years of ministry of a man who has taught us to be God-glorifying, God-centered, God-exalting in everything that we do from drinking orange juice to recognizing the blessings of a life and pondering the influence it has on us and untold numbers of people. And in these few minutes, we want to honor not the man, but the man's God who created the firmament and John Piper and has sustained his life for over 54 years. Thank you for Ruth and Bill Piper who brought John to Jesus and taught him the fear of the Lord and who gave him Galatians 2.20 on his 15th birthday, which you've used to shape him and inspire him to live by faith in the Son of God who loved him and delivered himself up for him. Thank you for laying him aside with mono in 1966 and for using the biblical exposition of John Harold Ockengay to grip his heart with a desire to teach and to preach the word. Thank you for the light you shed on the Word of God and for the overwhelming discoveries of the sovereignty of God and the years of theological shaping at Fuller and then at the University of Munich. Thank you for six years of fruitful Bible teaching at Bethel and for all the wrestlings on Romans 9 which ignited a passion to herald the Word of God and witness its power to create authentic people. Thank you for opening the pulpit at Bethlehem at just the right time and for directing the will of that search committee to extend a call to John to be our pastor. Thank you for sustaining John with 20 years of grace to do what no man could do apart from you. Thank you for 20 years of faithful prayer and for multiplied hours of preparation which have yielded a thousand Sundays of sermons and 72 Advent poems and untold numbers of classes and seminars and Bible studies and wedding homilies and funeral meditations and devotions off the front burner which have nourished our heads and our hearts and produced a hope in God and a desire for God and a hunger for God and a joy in Christ and a reliance on the Holy Spirit and a love for the truth and a strength in the Lord and a knowledge and an understanding of your word and a grace for every circumstance and a long Longing for heaven and a white hot passion for the supremacy of God in all things and a glorious vision of an all satisfying God who is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him and who works for those who wait for him and who always has a way and who works all things for good when things don't go the way they should and a God who drank the tank. Thank you for 20 years of ministry of the word that has inspired us to be a Bible-saturated, God-exalting people who are glad in God, who risk for the cause of God, who live a wartime lifestyle, who go hard after God with faith and future grace and with undistracting excellence and gutsy guilt and broken-hearted boldness. Thank you for igniting and sustaining a zeal for the nations and the unfinished task of reaching the unreached peoples that has inspired thousands of young and old to uproot from the comforts and security of this Disneyland and go outside the camp for the sake of the kingdom. Thank you for 20 years of leadership development and for the vision for spreading the supremacy of God in preaching and pastoral ministry and Christian education and for a dozen pastors conference and for the chef fund and DGM and a thousand of thousands of published pages and endless hours invested in strengthening the church across the nation and around the world in this generation and for generations to come. 
Thank you for 20 years of pastoral ministry that has encouraged the timid and helped the weak and warned the idle and comforted the sick and strengthened the dying and gave hope for the grieving and disciplined for the wayward and brought the light of the word to bear on a myriad of decisions and problems and circumstances of life that have troubled your people over the years. Thank you for 20 years of staff meetings and board meetings and committee meetings and elder meetings and prayer meetings and for a quality of leadership that has been alert to trajectory and kept us on course not only through Project 84 and Span 1 and Span 2 and Span 3 and Freeing the Future and Education for Exaltation, but through countless other decisions and initiatives that have shaped this church. Thank you for mingling these 20 years with severe mercies and bitter providences that broke him and broke us and softened him and softened us and weaned us from pride and from the temporary things of the world and fixed us more on the eternal matters of salvation and holiness and the lostness of the peoples. Thank you for 20 years of sustaining grace that has kept John firm in faith and far from all temptations of the flesh that would threaten his soul and bring shame upon this church and on your holy name. Thank you for giving him a faithful wife who has served this church and encouraged us with grace and sacrifice and love. A wife who has faithfully stood with her husband for 30 years and labored with him and ministered with him and shed tears with him and shared joys with him and edited his writings and prayed with him night after night and freed him to study and pray by running the household and faithfully mothering four sons and a daughter. Lord, my five minutes are up with hours more of thanksgiving on our hearts, but we end with the earnest prayer that your hand of blessing remain on John and Noel and on their ministry and on this church for decades. I pray that we will finish well. Keep them and us from worldliness. Keep lifting us from the power of every sin. Keep us in prayer. Keep us happy, not because we are spared affliction, but because we are completely satisfied with you and walking in the light of God. And in these days or years of ministry that remain, let their eyes see multitudes converted, multitudes flocking to Christ with a holy eagerness. Let them witness the great salvation work in this city and across the ocean and around the world. Let them see the reaching of the unreached and the gladness of the nations. Lord John and Noel's strength belongs to you, and we humbly ask that you come upon them with great power. And through them and through these offerings, let your word have its free course to run and be glorified for the glory of Christ and for the sake of his name in which we pray. Amen. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. For we also were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, 
He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's pray together. Merciful Father and Almighty God, these are moments for gratitude and regret and hope. And so as I unpack these three things from my own heart and your word, I pray that you would give these folks ears to hear and that any in the room who is not born of God would be awakened by the power of the Holy Spirit through the ministry of the Word. You have been good to us, Lord, and our hearts are brimming with thanks. And I pray for your help now as I share my heart this morning. Turn it for the good of your people. Gather in your elect, glorify your name, strengthen your cause in the world, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This title that I put in the bulletin there has a double meaning, 20 years then Romans. Uh, the first meaning is, took me about 20 years to get up the courage to preach through Romans. And now we've made a beginning of it, and uh, we'll make a teeny step into where we left off yet this morning, and then we'll pick it up next week and go for the next three weeks through the end of chapter 5. The second meaning is that in this message, uh, as I stand on the brink of a closing chapter of 20 years and the opening of the next chapter, however long God is pleased, I want to express thanks, and I want to express regret, and I want to express hope. And so uh, the lion's share of the message will be 20 years and then a little bit of Romans at the end. And that's just the way it's going to be this morning. But if you want more of Romans and you're disappointed, then come back next week and you get all Romans and no 20 years. But this is the way I felt led to go. So I said it has three points. I am thankful, I am regretful, and I am hopeful. And so let's take them one at a time. The first one is long, the second one is medium, and the last one is very short. Number one, I am thankful. Twenty reasons for twenty years. And I know that I'll be leaving out hundreds of things, but I'll risk it. Number one, I thank God for Jesus Christ, who loved us and died for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. I want to use the words that I used. I can remember it very clearly. At the end of my first year... Marvin Anderson was on the search committee, stood and, 
and uh, made a little comment about my successfully completing one year. And, and I preached on the text from 2 Timothy 4.17, the Lord stood by me and gave me strength to fully preach the gospel so that the Gentiles might hear. And so I want to say thank you, Lord Jesus, for standing by me and giving me strength. Number two, I thank God for the Bible, the Word of God. I never quite get over it that you pay me to study the Bible. (laughs) I couldn't believe it when Bethel first paid me to study the Bible, and now you pay me to study the Bible. This is amazing. The Bible, the Word of God, is the under God Himself and His Son and His cross. The foundation of our church is the fountain of all these blessings that I'm thanking God for. It's the source of our joy as a church. Number three, I thank God for corporate prayer. Um, take an example. I think, with maybe two exceptions, the Friday morning 6.30 prayer meeting has met unbroken for 13 years. And I have been there every Sunday I was not on leave or on vacation or sick. And uh, there may have been two Christmases when it fell on Friday. We didn't break for holidays. We didn't break for New Year's. But we did break, I think, a couple of times for Christmas. And I love that Friday morning prayer meeting. I love the Tuesday morning prayer meeting, the Wednesday night prayer meeting, and the Sunday morning 815 prayer meeting. And I wish and pray that more of you tasted the joy I taste. And and specifically, I want to say again, I want to thank God for prayer that you pray for me and my family sitting here in the second row. Spurgeon took a trip one time into Europe from his London pulpit and someone asked him, what's the key to your ministry? And he answered like this, my people pray for me. And I thank you for that. Number four. I thank God for hundreds of hearts who have been awakened to the gospel of the glory of Christ and been born again or have been awakened out of the slumbers of spiritual apathy into a passion for the supremacy of God in all things. God has been good to me to conceal much of this from me, and he has been good to me to reveal much of this to me. Every now and then someone will show up, and give me a big hug and turn around and point to a pew and say, there's where it happened. Ten years ago or five years ago. Now you know anything about it. Number five. I thank God for 20 years of almost unbroken peace in this church. Almost. Even as I look back six years on the season of of pain and controversy, I thank God for the humbling, as David prayed, for the refining that we went through together. But to me, that so pales in comparison to 20 years of harmony and peace and unity among the leadership and the people of this church I don't know if you know how precious that is. 
And I thank God for it. Number six. I thank God for those of you, you tend to sit kind of right back in there, who were here before I was. And you, a lot of you have gray hair, not all of you. And I thank God because I walked into a legacy here of 109 years. I think that's right. 109 years of church when I, when I came. Or something like that. If I have my math wrong, you know what I mean. Um, and they handed to me, these, these, this generation made this transition of this new pastor so easy. I don't think that a young, inexperienced pastor has ever been treated with more respect and more patience and more kindness and more support than that generation gave to me so that the transitions we walked through with the multiple changes that happened were sweet. Number seven, I thank God that my children have grown up loving the church and supporting my ministry. Karsten was seven when we came. Benjamin was four. Abraham was uh, six months old. And Barnabas was born three years after I came. And... Talitha came five years ago. We would go on vacation, and uh, this is worth a million dollars to me. They would say, when can we go home to Bethlehem? That's what they would say. They would want to come home. There are a lot of pastors who have kids who don't ever say that. And uh, they said it every vacation and meant it and loved the church today is uh, a great gift to me and I thank you for making a place where they love to be. Number eight, I thank you for a persevering long-term pastoral staff. Is Brad here in this service? Okay, Brad, I'm going to pick on you. A youth pastor who stays in one church for 15 years is unheard of. You know this, don't you? This is unheard of. Karsten, 27 years old, was in the ninth grade, Brad, when you came. Perfect timing. Ninth grade. And uh, you shepherded all of the boys through those teenage years. David Livingston, David Michael, Tom Steller, and Brad. I pick on these because we're the long timers here. You put those five together, that's 82 years of ministry, averaging about 16 each. That's an unusual thing for a core staff to survive together that long. And it is a work of grace. And uh, Karen, Sally, Julie, Cindy, Noel, thank you. Cindy especially, because I don't think there's any wife who takes it like the youth pastor's wife because of the way Brad has done youth ministry with these kids over the years. He's spent himself and Cindy has paid. And uh, I think mainly gladly. Number nine, I thank God for funerals. Um... To put it differently, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. 
I came to Bethlehem in 1980, and in the next two and a half years, averaged one funeral every three weeks. I buried over 38 of our members, plus some outside people, and preached at all those funerals. And I would rather preach at a funeral than a wedding. Not because I love death more than I love marriage, but because the glory of Christ crucified and risen shines more brightly at a funeral of a saint than at a wedding. The reason is not because weddings have to be worldly. They don't, and they're not. The reason is because there's so many earthly reasons at a wedding to be happy. Whereas at a funeral, if the gospel is not true, if the blood and righteousness of Jesus are not real enough for this body and this soul to be saved before a holy God, there's almost no reason to be happy. And so to preach at a funeral is to have an opportunity to glorify Jesus and His blood and righteousness like no other time. So I love funerals. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. And I just want to say publicly, they may be able to hear me, I don't know, but the relatives can hear me. I thank God for the ministry of the dying to me. To walk with death is a precious gift for every pastor. Don't run away from it if you have an opportunity to be involved with the dying. Don't forsake it. Love it. Embrace it. It is a gift to you. Number ten. I thank God for the missions heritage of Bethlehem Baptist Church. You don't know this, probably, but the Board of World Missions of the Baptist General Conference was born in this church in 1944. And I walked into a heritage here, and I thank God for the revolution of 1983 and 84 in this church that changed my life and Tom Stedler's life and the life of this church and begat missions in the manse and 90 by 90 and 2000 by 2000 and has sent out dozens, hundreds, thousands of short-termers from the church over these years. And it is a privilege beyond expression to belong to a people of God who are passionate about the Great Commission. Don't ever take that for granted. It could evaporate like that and we could become ingrown and dead. Eleven. I thank God for the gift of time to write that you give me. I've mentioned it already. I don't take it for granted. I pray when I'm away that the credit will abound to your account as the ripple effects go out. You know, when you write a book or you preach a sermon or you say a word into the world, you unleash something over which you have no control anymore so that the effects of it after that are God's, not yours. The word you speak could drop dead and nobody could remember it. The sermon you preach could die and nobody remember it. The book you write could go out of print and nobody remember it. It could not be read. What happens to a word once you've unleashed it? Now, you're responsible for that, the writing, the speaking. Yes, you will be honored by the Lord if you do that in faith and get your reward. But once that's done, it's God's. And the ripple effect of that is something you can't estimate. And I just pray that... You all who supported the unleashing of those things would benefit from them. Twelve, 
I thank God for health. 20 years of health. I think I've missed one Sunday because of sickness. And I've been really sick some weeks with laryngitis and whatnot. And the Lord, because you've prayed and and I have a good doctor I'll run to on Thursday. I've been able, some of you remember those awful hacking, coughing Sundays. I remember some of you, Carol Levy, are you here in this service? Carol used to kneel service, it's old sanctuary, sit right down here. And I'd be in one of those hack, hack Sundays. She'd just be praying the whole time. I watch her, she was just praying away. God, give him grace to finish this sermon. So, I have been there, but I haven't always been easy to listen to. Number 13, I thank God for a council of elders like we have. 20 years, I have never known a season in which I have felt estranged from the leadership of this church. Let me put it positively. For 20 years, and increasingly... I have feasted on the strength-giving wisdom and humility and prayer and faith and doctrinal soundness and joyful, Bible-saturated leadership of my fellow elders. Who can estimate the value to a church of leaders who love each other and would die for each other and would die for the church this afternoon? There are about eight of them who are going to go pray with one of our desperately sick brothers. This is the kind of men you've put in office here, and they are precious to me. To go to those elders' meetings, even when they last till 12.30 a.m., is a source of strength to me. Not a depletion as it is in many churches. And I'm unworthy and thankful. Number 14. I'm thankful for this building that we're in right now and for those who worked so hard in the late 80s and early 90s to make it happen Dennis thank you for leading the charge and Roger Fast if you can hear me thank you and Dick you can hear me thank you and Cavor if you can and Gene's not with us right now but thank you and Rollin three with heaven three on earth three in heaven thank you um It's a wonderful thing when you have laymen who can take the ball and go. And and now we're into another one, folks. And uh, if God gives me grace, I know I'm going to do this again in 10 years. And uh, I'm going to talk about Keith. I'm going to talk about Ross. I'm going to talk about Mitch and several dozen others, artsy people and other kinds. I'm going to talk about you. I have never in 20 years been to a building committee meeting, which says something, and I'll let you interpret it. Number 15, I thank God that we are debt-free as a church and that he has poured out grace into your lives about giving and taught you that it is more blessed to give than to receive. I thank God that year in and year out, you have met the budget and grown the budget. I thank God especially about the year out 
<laughs> because it's almost December always when it happens. So thank you so much for the gift of generosity that you have bestowed upon this church through your giving. Number 16, I thank God for behind-the-scenes people, and here I'm just going to miss thousands, uh, but I've chosen to say thank you, Harold, and thank you, Juan, and thank you, John, and thank you, Bruce, and thank you, Mike, and Tim, and Amy, who keep this place clean and keep the parking lot clear and keep the place in order and dust and sweep and do all the things of setting up and taking down that none of us could do without and keep all the machines running and the air conditioning going and whatever else. And then there are hundreds of others. There are people in this church whose names will never be celebrated. God's writing everything down. Believe me, nothing you do is in vain. Nothing you do is in vain if you never get mentioned. Number 17, I thank God for Desiring God Ministries, and I thank Him for the roots of it in Olive and Arnie Nelson's faithful ministry. And I thank God for John Bloom's leadership and how it's grown. I thank God for the explosive growth of of God-centered, Bible-saturated children's curriculum that has emerged with Sally and Jill and Edith and David and the others. 18. I thank God for Noel. She's written up margin. Do not lose it here. <laughs> I read every single one of my 20 annual reports yesterday, and she's in all of them, as you know. And so I picked out a few excerpts to read from those annual reports to express my gratitude to God for my wife. In 1982, a note in a lunch bag. Remember, he doesn't give us more than he also gives us grace to bear. And in one week, this will all be passed. Aren't you curious? I don't remember. But it was worth a note. No, 1988. I have a picture of her in front of me as I write. If I cover the right half of the face, I see a childlike happy girl. If I cover the left half of the face... I see a strong, confident woman, and then I take my hand away, and I see Noel, and I love her with all my heart. 1994, the darkest of the 20. What shall I say about my wife, Noel, in the explosions of the year? What a rock. What a refuge. What a steadying hand on my trembling shoulder. She has helped me again and again and again to find the firm path in the sinking swamp of unholy emotions. Lord, what a gift you have given to me. Thank you with all my heart. 
19. I thank God for the gift of saving faith. You know, don't you? By grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I thank God that I believe Him this morning. That morning after morning, I get up and I trust Him. Isn't that wonderful? You think I do that? Or to put a real specific spin on it, I thank God that every Friday and Saturday, I trust Him that there's going to be a word for Sunday. And there's always been a word for Sunday. God has never left me without a word for Sunday that I love. That I love. I've never gone to bed on Saturday night saying, I don't have anything to say. Or, I don't have anything that I love to say. I love the gospel. And I love the God of the gospel. I've never been left without a word to say. And that's a gift. Number 20. I love the cross. Where my Savior died. God forbid that I and we should glory or give thanks for anything save the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By which the world was crucified to me and I to the world. All God's wrath against me, he absorbed. All my guilt, he took. All the blessings that I'm articulating right now, he bought. And therefore, in all my gratitude and all my gladness, the cross gets the glory. The Christ crucified and risen. That's the first point of three. The second one is shorter. I am regretful. I'm regretful. James 3 Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's perfect and able to bridle the whole body. Guess what? I'm not perfect. And I have stumbled. And I... You have been a very forgiving and and patient church. You have, as Peter says, covered a multitude of sins with your love. But I thought it would be good, I think it is good, for me to make one public confession for a public sin. I got a letter a while back from one of the members encouraging me to repent for uh, some things I had said about Greg Boyd in this foreknowledge controversy that we've been in for a couple of years. And I distrust myself very, very much. I am wired in my sinful heart to defend myself and to justify myself. 
And uh, I know that the intensity with which I disapprove of open theism um, can move easily uh, into scorning of persons and uh, not just disagreeing with viewpoints. And so I took this letter and I uh, photocopied it and gave it to all the elders and asked them to, to tell me if that's true. Tell me if I have crossed the line in the way I've spoken and conducted myself. And I want to, I want to read one of the responses uh, that came to me that I take very seriously because of the respect with which I hold this person, this elder. He wrote, uh, on two distinct occasions, I do recall myself thinking, it seemed like John attacked Greg Boyd and not Greg's theology. One of those occasions was at Northwestern College when, in a non-flattering way, you mimicked Greg. The problem was not with what you said. The problem was that the manner in which the words were spoken were disparaging to Greg. And then the second incident that he refers to is here on a Wednesday night. He he said, uh, I had referred to the fact that I abominate Greg's theology. And he said, I suspect that only the most careful listeners could hear an angrily spoken phrase such as even Greg Boyd, whose theology I abominate, as a description of theology and not an attack on a person. So I want to publicly uh, apologize for sins of my tongue from an impure heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Isn't that awful? Isn't that devastating? Come Wednesday night if you want to hear my sins. I get prepared for Sunday morning. Wednesday night, I just let it all hang out. So if you want to see me sin, come on Wednesday. I regret moving from what I hope is a proper disapproval of theology across the line and to express scorn for a person. I sent this to Greg last night. We communicate off and on, so uh, we'll talk more. One of my characteristic sins, and I I move toward closing here. This is a plea for prayer. One of my characteristic sins, I think, is I'm quick to anger and quick to criticize so that it runs ahead of brokenhearted concern and pastoral compassion. I'll say that again. I've tried to analyze myself here over the years a lot. I am prone to be quick to anger and quick to criticize so that it runs ahead of brokenhearted Concern and pastoral compassion. So, uh, I want you to pray with me about that in the next ten years. I don't want us to be an angry church. You hear me? I don't want us to be an angry church. I want us to be a humble, joyful, Christ-exalting, God-centered, Bible Believing, patient, caring, kind, merciful, truth-telling, broken-hearted, bold people. 
And it would help if I were that way, wouldn't it? So pray for me. Finally, I am hopeful. I am thankful. I am regretful. And I am hopeful. Now that brings us to Romans, right? How can sinners be hopeful? How can sinners be hopeful? That's why we exist, folks. That's why I've got a job. The only reason I can stand in this pulpit as a sinner is because of the gospel. Let me sum it up in two minutes and we'll be done. We're moving into chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. So I'll take my summary from those verses. How can John Piper, sinner, be hopeful before a holy God? Answer. When Adam sinned, I sinned and I died. And when Christ obeyed, I obeyed and I lived. Or to put it another way, as Adam's sin is imputed to us and we die, so Christ's righteousness is imputed to us and we live. Verse 19 of chapter 5, the only verse I'll refer to, we'll get to it in a couple of weeks. For as through the one man's, namely Adam's, disobedience, the many were appointed sinners. I'll explain that word appointed in some detail when we get there. Even so, through the obedience of the one Christ, the many will be appointed righteous. In other words... My hope for the next 20 years or 20 minutes is not that I am righteous, but that Christ has been righteous for me and that in him I am righteous before a holy God. That's the gospel. That's the book of Romans. That's my hope before my judge. I'm thankful, I'm regretful, I'm hopeful in Christ. And it's a good place to be. I invite you to join me there. There's some in this room who are not there. And I, I, I welcome you to come. It's a good place to live, sinners. It's a good place to live in Christ. Why don't you stand with me and receive my prayer. Almighty God and Heavenly Father. I am thankful to you for all these things that I've mentioned and hundreds more. I am regretful for the sins I've mentioned and hundreds more. And I think most of all, I am hopeful in the promises of God. Every promise to John Piper is yes in Christ. And therefore, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will you not with him freely give us all things? Lord, 
Build into us, I pray, gratitude. Build into us a penitent heart. And build into us a hopeful, bold, broken-hearted zeal for the gospel. And now dismiss us, I pray. Amen.